As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Meet Stacy. Stacy's on the hunt for a new pair of trendy glasses. Call me picky, but I just can't find the one. Luckily for Stacy, Walmart Vision has virtual try-on. Now she can try on hundreds of frames virtually, then upload her prescription and get new glasses delivered right to her door. Really? <laughs> yeah, really. Well, the hunt just took a turn for the better. Buy your next pair of glasses with virtual try-on from Walmart. Welcome to Easy Eye Care. Welcome to your Walmart. Restrictions apply. See walmart.com for details. Hello, and welcome back to the Highway to Hoover podcast, a production of SEC Extra over at D1Baseball.com. We're continuing our series, weekly series of discussions with SEC beat writers from around the, the footprint. And today we're going to be joined by Robbie Falk of 247 Sports, also of the Thunder and Lightning podcast with Brian Haydad. A really good. I would highly recommend that podcast. They've, they've done a good job the last few weeks, really kind of having a serious discussion about the issues with Mississippi state baseball so far this season, while doing it in a way that, um, you know, isn't hysterical on one, one side or the other. Right. And that's a hard thing to do when, when things have gone, um, you know, gone so against what we kind of expected. So I, I would highly recommend that as a listen um, before we get into any of that though, I have to let you know that this episode of highway to Hoover and every episode of highway to Hoover this season is brought to you by Brock's gap brewing company in Hoover, Alabama. Thanks again to Brock's Gap for uh, their sponsorship of this program all throughout the season. And as I've been saying for a while now, mark your calendars, Monday, May 22nd, the live edition of Highway to Hoover at Brock's Gap Brewing Company. Mark your calendars for that. We're excited for that. Uh, Robbie, thanks for joining us. I, I hope for the listeners, we are recording this on Tuesday afternoon. I hope you have recovered from your post uh, WrestleMania come down or, or whatever it is that, that happens after that event for you. I have. I, I was very excited for WrestleMania just to get away from college baseball for a few days. <laughs> we, got, I, uh, we had the full we had the full experience. We had Popeye's chicken on uh, Friday night or Saturday night. Um, uh, Brian grilled out for us on uh, Sunday night, and then last night got a chance to to watch Monday Night Raw. It's been a uh, it's been a pretty wild three days, and of course you have the and the WWE being bought out for. I think it was nine million, nine billion uh, for their portion of that, paired with UFC. I mean, it's Vince McMahon has a pencil stash. I mean, yeah. everything is just everything's just wild right now in the wrestling community. I saw somebody, uh, I saw somebody on Twitter the other day say that Vince McMahon's mustache makes him look like the owner of a haunted hotel in a movie. You know, yeah. from like the nineteen sixties. He's like he's like in the middle of the industrial revolution, like a, a big like tycoon back then basically the part that he's playing now but maybe like in the middle of the industrial revolution in new york city or something like that that that's what i think of when i see him or like somebody from like you know a businessman from like the 1920s but i don't know what happened but he's decided to dye his hair black and grow a pencil stash he's completely lost his mind i guess seems seems like a cry for help yeah he looks like he'd be a rival to andrew carnegie or something you know it's like (laughs) taking Andrew Carnegie to court over some like yeah. lawsuit back in those days. Uh, speaking of different eras, um, <laughs> unfortunately, it, it feels for Mississippi State baseball fans, it, it feels like that national title probably seems a decade or more in the past with, with just how the last couple of, of years have gone. And we're coming off of 
a series where they they won a game against South Carolina and it was a blowout comfortable win. Um, you know, the type of win that good SEC teams, you know, those types of games they win. And but, you know, they they also they still lost the series and Saturday's game got away from them. And, you know, I, I saw the video you put out. Chris Lamonis was pretty disappointed in the way that series ended. But I'll ask you to kind of look back on the whole of the weekend. Does that constitute a step forward? Where do you fall on the spectrum of whether or not that counts as progress ultimately? Well, I thought after the first two days that it did. I mean, I, even on Thursday night, I thought that was a, a really good performance for the most part for Mississippi State where they showed some fight that we really haven't seen from them um, so far this year. And Friday, you come back and you really played your most complete game of the year offensively, defensively, and on the mound. I mean, they pitched it extremely well. They were they were teeing off on, in my opinion, one of the better pitchers in the SEC. And everybody that South Carolina put out there, State, was really seeing well. And they, for the most part, were hitting them hard on Thursday night, too. So it kind of looked like they were turning a corner there. And then Saturday, it just all kind of fell apart. Uh, I thought that uh, Nate Dome had pitched extremely well after the first inning. He gave up three home runs to like the first six guys that he saw. And he comes back, he, I think, put up four straight zeros, was really commanding the strike zone. They weren't able to, it was mixing up his pitches well. They weren't able to really get on top of him. And when he went out of the ball game, it just all started to kind of fall apart. State was able to get back in that game and take the lead in the seventh inning, going into the seventh inning. And you come back after that and have a leadoff walk the next inning. And that leadoff walk ends up scoring, ties the game. They gave up 11 runs in the last three innings. And most teams are not giving up 11 runs in a game in the SEC right now, Um, the teams that are pitching it well at least. So it was really reverting back to where they've been, which is really inconsistent on the mound, not able to command the strike zone, uh, a lot of times when they're commanding the strike zone, they're getting hit pretty hard, not playing clean defensively, and then offensively not getting big hits. And Chris Lamonis, I think, had just kind of had enough. It feels like he's feeling a little bit of pressure um, from what's going on, and I, he's just starting to get really frustrated with how his team's playing right now. And I don't – he doesn't know the answer. I don't know if anybody really knows the answer of how to fix this. Yeah, I, that was one thing that struck me about his post game on Saturday was that you know I've I've covered Chris Lamonis teams for a while. I mean, even before he was at State, I, I lived in the Midwest when he while he was at Indiana, and so I covered Big Ten tournaments that that he was at. I, I went to Bloomington and covered games there, and he's always just been a guy. And you and Hayda had talked about this. He's just kind of always been a guy that you'd never know from his post game comments what the final score was, right? Based yeah. on the tone and the tenor and all that stuff, you know, you could listen to what he's saying and and glean that, but. He's just always has the same tone, the same tenor to his voice. And his voice was hoarse after, after Saturday's game. And there was just like a, it was just a a level of emotion that, that I've, I don't know that I've really seen from him because I think that's what stands out most about him as a coach is that you don't typically have any sort of indication from his outward, his face or anything from him that how the game has gone. And, And that, that has changed. And I think it's an indication of, of how poorly this has gone. Yeah, there's no doubt. I've always thought that about him. He's probably the most even keel coach I've ever been around. A guy that 
you know, even national championship series before the national championship was won, it just felt like, you know, another game just talking to him. I mean, he, he commanded himself the same way that he did when they got swept by Arkansas that year. So it, it's just, I think now you're starting to see a guy that, and I asked him this on Saturday, you know, if, if he was changing his approach for the team, because he's not one that yells at players either um, or tries to make things feel like they're dire. He's a guy that has always been, you know, as Tanner Allen would say, not too high, not too low. And I think the problem with that right now is that was a great approach to have when you had Jake Mangum, Elijah McNamee, Tanner Allen, Rowdy Jordan, a lot of self-starters on that team that didn't need motivation. They could kind of control the locker room themselves. And I'm not saying that Lamonis can't motivate, but his approach with Mississippi State has been to kind of manage things, to make sure everybody's in the right position, to make the right decisions on the field, and to kind of explain to them what the approach that they need to have that day. And the locker room takes care of itself. When you have a guy like Jake Mangum that is a – um, you know, as motivated of as, as a person as I've ever been around. And Tanner Allen has that same kind of mindset. Those guys, they, they take care of business themselves in that locker room, and the players follow accordingly. They don't need a coach to come in there and motivate them. I don't see a ton of personalities like this on this team. I didn't see it last year either. So when a Tanner Allen walks out of the locker room, when he leaves and he goes to pro ball and a Jake Mangum, that is some generational type leadership leaving. Uh, Mississippi State had at least two or three of those guys on one team in 2018 and 2019. Those guys are no longer there, and you're you're you have a, a talented roster that has a different kind of mindset than those players. And I think he's starting to realize maybe I've got to approach these guys a different way. Maybe I've got to be, you know, a guy that explains to them the implications here, what the expectations are at Mississippi State, and things like that. I don't know, and I've never been in a locker room, so I don't want to assume this but that's just my opinion um and a lot of times i try to approach things with you know with facts um in a fact-based matter with statistics and all that stuff but at this point you kind of have to you know step back and kind of try to assess things yourself and for me that's just what i think could be going on here it's an interesting point you bring up about the players they've lost because i think something and this is just me editorializing not really a question but I thought the same thing about Ole Miss this season a little bit where, you know, they lose Tim Elko and Justin Bench and Kevin Graham. And those guys weren't the same type of fiery leader as, as Jake Mangum or Tanner Allen, those types of guys. But I described it in the, in the preseason that if, if Ole Miss baseball was a house, they, those were load bearing walls. And yep. the same thing with the guys you're talking about. It's, it's, and I think it's something we take for granted that you, Talented guys, especially in the SEC, talented guys replace talented guys and off you go. And it's just, it's not that easy. So um, yeah. certainly <laughs> teams are learning that the, uh, the hard way as the league gets better. Um, one more just kind of logistical question. I mean, a positive was that Cade Smith returned last weekend, guy who they thought was going to be the talk about load bearing walls, the guy who was going to be the guy that kind of put the rest of the pitching staff kind of on his shoulders to a degree. What is, as far as you know, kind of the timetable for kind of getting him ramped up? And is the idea that they're eventually going to ramp him up and put him back in the rotation at some point? Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that. I mean, we we do not – we are so out of the loop when it comes to injuries at Mississippi State. I mean, Chris really keeps that stuff under wraps. 
we didn't really know what was going on with Cade. We had no clue. You know, Pico Cone uh, just got just announced yesterday that um, he's having a Tommy John surgery. We didn't really know what was going on with him. And uh, Cade's been out since the Arizona State Series. And you could kind of tell – a lot of times you just have to kind of look at what's going on with players to, to figure out if, they're, if there's something going on uh, from an injury standpoint. And you could kind of tell something wasn't right with Cade. He was not he's, – he's a guy that's always been really competitive from a, um, you know, just a strike zone perception. I mean, he's not going to come in there and just really lose it. Uh, he's going to attack hitters for the most part. He's going to really compete against opposing offenses. And that Arizona State Series, was, he just kind of fell apart out there. And it looked like something was seriously wrong. His velocity was down to 91, 92. And he comes back on Friday night, and he's throwing 96. So it looks like he's kind of getting back. It looks like he's, he's good to go. But I don't know if you can throw him out there as a starter this weekend. Uh, because you're going to want to kind of work him back. But he can certainly come in in middle relief or something. It's, you start trying to get him back up to speed from an inning perspective because he's a guy that could usually get you about six innings. Um, and I think eventually he's probably your Sunday starter uh, for Mississippi State moving forward. He started out on Friday nights. Right now, um, Drangelo Sanja is, is really kind of in a groove on Friday nights and hasn't been just, you know, perfection or anything like that, but he's been solid. He, he competes. So he's probably going to be your Friday starter if I had to guess. And then Landon Gartman has been uh, fairly consistent for you probably on Saturdays. And then I would, I would imagine Kate Smith is going to be a Sunday starter eventually. And you likely move Nate Dome back to the bullpen, but it looks like he's, getting back up to speed and is ready to, to log some major innings for you. Yeah. Dome. I mean, I, I almost feel a little bit bad for Nate Dome just because he's, he's been the brightest spot on this pitching staff this season. And now it just feels like he's gotten a little overexposed. Yeah. Right. I mean, they're asking him to do something that, you know, he's doing an admirable job, but it's just not really exactly his best role. So getting him moved back into the bullpen, probably ultimately a good thing. What his, what has been most surprising about, about the struggles? I mean, is it the pitching side or is it the defense? Because, you know, I, yes, I mean, you're missing some really solid defenders from past years, but I didn't look at this team. There are some teams in the SEC, we talked about LSU, we talked about AM, that you looked at and said, ah, defense might be something to look for there. This wasn't necessarily a team I looked at and thought there'd be defensive woes. Yeah, it is a little bit of a surprise because, you know, last year they were like top five in the country defensively. They're one of the best defenses in the SEC. They just couldn't pitch. Um, by the end of the year, they're really struggling there. They had lost some guys to injury. Pitching was was still a major concern for you coming in. The defense is a little more surprising because you just haven't had. I mean, nobody's been good for the most part. I mean, Amani Larry's been solid. Uh, you know, you've had some issues at times at shortstop. Lane Forsythe was excellent last year. Uh, third base has been a revolving door. You haven't found anybody that's been able to play that position consistently. Uh, catcher has not been good, uh, whether it be either Luke Hancock or Ross Ross Highfield, and there's too many pass balls. Teams are, are running wild on the catchers, which, you know, a, a lot of times we blame the catchers for stolen bases, and that there's so much that goes into that. Um, you know, is the pitcher getting the ball there in time? that you know what what side is he throwing from where is he throwing it 
there's it's not solely on the catchers, but that part of Mississippi State's game has not been good. They haven't been able to hold runners. So it, it has been an issue for them. They haven't been particularly great in the outfield. I think Colton Ledbetter's been a bright spot in center, but it's just been difficult for Mississippi State to play clean back there. And I think a lot of times when you have issues on the mound like they have, defenses just don't have that confidence. You know, and it's kind of the same thing that works hand in hand with the pitchers. If you don't feel confident in your defense behind you, you're probably going to pitch a little differently. Guys can't attack the, the way that they usually do. So, you know, it's, it's really just a combination of everything that's going wrong for Mississippi State right now. I think the offense has been good enough. that They should be a lot better in the SEC. But, you know, pitching and defense just has not been good. Yeah, you mentioned the offense, and that's one thing I was saying a lot early in the season is, look, this doesn't have to be, you know, the most pristine pitching staff or defensive unit in the country because the offense is going to win them plenty of games on, on their own just with average performance. Um, where would you where would you say the lineup is kind of on the spectrum of, of, of good to great and, and who's kind of stood out in the lineup as, as being the guys who are making it go? I think it's been good. I, th- I think we're having to focus a lot on the lineup and who – who needs to be where because the pitching has been so bad because the offense now has to be almost perfect every single weekend. Um, but the lineup right now, I mean, it's kind of strange. They have Kellen Clark in the leadoff spot the last couple of days uh, games, but strangely enough, he's been uh, pretty good at that spot. That's not a guy that I would expect to be there a little unconventional, but Kellum has is seeing the ball fairly well right now. Uh, Dakota Jordan was outstanding last week. And, it, I mean, it's one of those things where it's it's really kind of frustrating, and it's happened two years in a row. You know, R.J. Yaker comes in here last year, and under any other circumstances, he would have been talked about for SEC Player of the Year. <laughs> I mean, the season that he had last year was amazing, but the team was so bad nobody really paid attention. You know, he was fantastic switching over from Mercer to Mississippi State. And it feels like you're kind of getting that same treatment for Colton Ledbetter and Imani Larry. Both those guys have been really good. Nobody's really paying attention to them. The, none of these players are winning SEC Player of the Week or Freshman of the Week or Newcomer of the Week or whatever because the team's losing. SEC is not going to give those to, to teams that are losing. So um, it's, it's really you're really missing out on a – great lineup this year because the team's so bad. Uh, the, these performances are getting kind of lost in in the results here. Dakota Jordan uh, had 11 hits in his first 16 games. He sits for a while. Last week he had 10 hits in four games. Hit a, hit a couple of home runs. One of them was an absolute monster off the uh, left field loss, which I don't think I've ever seen a ball hit off of that building. Uh, and he absolutely demolished that. He's got some really special tools, and now he's starting to figure out how to handle a breaking ball on this level and how to be patient. He's really starting to emerge. Um, I think, you know, we've seen some really good things, like I said, from Colton Ledbetter. Amani Larry around the top of the order has been really good this year. His OBP is is fantastic. Um, so, I mean, you're seeing some good things from players in this lineup, but it's just kind of getting lost right now but I mean I like this offense a lot I think it's a really good offense even in the SEC where there's so many good offenses out there um, you just 
it's hard to measure how good it is because you're losing ball games. One of the things that's impressed me, you mentioned Larry and, and Ledbetter and I, going into this season, I, you know, we do transfer rankings and I, I did transfer rankings before I came over to D1 when I was at Baseball America. And I, I really liked Ledbetter and Larry, but the question when you have those guys who are coming up from the mid majors for me is just, okay, you're going to be facing mid nineties fastballs every night of the weekend. And mm-hmm. can you, can you handle that? Can you, you know, um, make enough contact? Can you avoid having a 35% strikeout rate? And the fact that what impresses me about those two guys is that both of them are walking more than they strike out and by a wide margin. Yeah. So those guys have clearly shown that they can handle the, at least so far um, have shown that they can handle that level of pitching. And I think, I think that's, you know, a tribute to the way that those guys were scouted in the transfer portal, because there's the market. I think Sonny D last year at Auburn might've, I don't want to say ruined this, but I think there's always teams are always looking for who's that mid-major hitter who's ready to compete at the SEC level and some work out and some don't. And it seems like Ledbetter and Larry have been two massive hits in terms of pulling guys out of the portal that are ready to compete at this level. Yeah, no doubt. One thing I've always thought about the transfer portal is you could, I think that those guys that you're talking about are more valuable than guys that aren't getting playing time at a power five. Because they, they're constantly seeing pitches. They're constantly having to adjust. And while it's a big, a much bigger step going from, you know, a lot of some of those guys, they're going to be playing throwing 91 to 93 to a Paul Skeens throwing 97 to 100 routinely. Um, but the thing is, they're seeing so many reps and they've seen so many different pitches that – there's not going to be – it will be a step up, but it's not going to be, to me, that big of a separation. Um, when you see a slider, you see a slider. You know, a guy that's got a really good slider, a guy that got, the guy that's got a really good changeup, expecting you bury balls in the ground. You know, a lot of times, it, to me, it's more beneficial to take a guy from a mid-major, from a group of five or whatever, that's been an all-conference performer and put him inside the SEC and you start to see a guy that has a lot of success. Um, and I think that's what we're seeing right now with Imani Larry and Colton Ledbetter. Like you said, Sonny Deshara last year really kind of set the tone. And Sanford's been a team that's – they've produced some good players like that. And it's unfortunate, I think, too. I mean, I hate to see the transfer portal become what it has in, in some respects because a lot of those great players, they don't have the opportunity to continue to make a name for themselves there, which – I mean, for them, it's good that they get that opportunity. But taking away from some of those programs that have been really good as mid-majors, you know, the Dallas Baptists, the uh, the Southern Miss, um, even Sanford. Sanford's had some good years. I hate for those teams to kind of get ravaged like that. You know, I mean, it's to me that that those are the teams that are suffering the most in the transfer portal. You have an all-conference guy in those conferences and the SoCon and the Sun Belt. And all of a sudden they have a, a great year and somebody's coming in and, and poaching them. And I'm not saying that Mississippi State or anybody like that has done that, but you know it's happening. Um, but it's a good opportunity for those guys. But at the same time, that's that's one of the, that's one of the things, the transfer portal, that um, I don't like because I kind of like those stories, those teams that have come through, the, the Stony Brooks, um, the Dallas Baptists, the ones that, are, that have kind of made a run late in the season. Um, those are always kind of fun, but yeah, those, 
there's there there's definitely been some guys making that jump that are doing some big things in this league and you know we're seeing that I mean that Ethan Groff is doing it at Ole Miss uh coming over from Tulane that was a guy that Mississippi State really wanted uh but I think State did a good job in the portal with these position players they got Bill Knight out of Mercer um of course he went pro uh that was a kind of a tough hit he would have really uh helped this offense out but when I mean, you start looking at the offense and that ha- that isn't your problem. State missed on Paul Skeens. I mean, how big of a miss was that at this point when you look when you look at that? I mean, that that's a guy that could probably change the whole trajectory of the season. But uh, yeah, the transfer portal I thought was a solid haul for Mississippi State. They just needed a few more pieces on the mound to really be able to compete. Yeah, it's a because we are complex human beings that can have multiple thoughts at one time. I mean, it feels like the unfortunately the transfer portal gets put in this binary of you have to either love it unequivocally and just say it's the best thing, or you have to hate it and say it's the downfall of college sports. When for me, anyway, I agree with you where it's like, I want the players to have freedom of movement Mm -hmm. just as any college student has freedom of movement. Right. But at the same time, I can also bemoan the fact that, yeah, I mean, you're just going to have fewer examples of a really talented mid-major club that maybe recruited some guys that had no business actually getting to campus and those guys blossomed and they're really old one year and they make a run in regionals right I mean, there's a long history of that stuff happening and it's just probably going to happen less and less and unfortunately that that just has to be the consequence of I think the right decision to allow those those players to to move around so I'm with you generally on, on that point um, one final thing uh, before we let you go here you've been generous with your time how much optimism just is there about the idea that, I mean, so far in conference play, they've played Kentucky that looks legit, at least to this point. Vanderbilt goes without saying how good they've been, and South Carolina. I mean, the, the rest of the schedule, there's no easy path in the SEC. Let me be very clear about that. There's still some extremely difficult teams on the schedule, but there are at least a few weeks coming up where they might be able to sink their teeth into series to, to a greater degree. How much optimism is there at least about maybe that, or am I reaching? No, I think that I think that's a good point. Um, you know, it, at the beginning of the year, you would have said, "Okay, you got Kentucky, who's never really that good. South Carolina has hasn't been great um, in the past few years. You should be able to start off pretty well, and maybe you can take that series from Vandy. You know that they lost some guys. You know that's a possibility there. But it turns out, I mean, those teams have a combined what." two conference two or three conference losses right now so um you know kentucky is kentucky's an older team that i think is you know it's going to be a tough out because those guys have experienced a lot and um you know i think nick mingione's a good coach this was a big year for him he really needed to win this season because they were they've been struggling the past couple years so i'm i'm happy for minge to see that kind of come to fruition and then you know, kind of the same thing for South Carolina. There was some pressure there. They haven't been great the last few years. That's a team – that's another team, you know, they won back-to-back national titles, and they haven't really been able to get back to that point since then. And Mississippi State's kind of following a little bit of that same script. But, um, you know, you got Alabama this weekend. I mean, the problem is I look at the SEC, and right now, you know, Ole Miss and State are the worst two teams in the league. And that's a little uncommon, but at, we used to look at it as, you know, even like before Butch Thompson was at Auburn, Auburn and Alabama for Mississippi State, those were series that you could rack up some wins. 
you could possibly sweep both of those teams and get six wins there uh, to your resume. And now that's a series that's going to be very difficult for Mississippi State to win both of those. You know, you're playing Auburn at Auburn. Auburn's shown, shown some fight this year. Alabama looks much improved. So it's not – I mean, you look down the schedule and you got some really tough opponents. You got Ole Miss next week, and that's always a, a tough battle. Um, State's kind of owned that series in the past few years, but that's not one that you just chalk up as a win. So it's hard to find a lot of wins on this schedule moving forward. I think that um, – you know, there are more winnable games than what they've had the last three weeks based on the, the performance so far for some of those other teams. You know, Texas A&M has been up and down. Uh, don't really know what to expect from them. But, you know, that schedule, it still looks pretty daunting. And it's going to be tough for State to find some wins there. But they really need to make it to Hoover. I'm hoping I'm, I'm in Hoover to uh, enjoy your radio show at the brewery uh, in late May. Because if I'm not, then there's probably going to be some trouble in Starville. Yeah, we we uh, we hope we hope to see you there certainly, Robbie. The, the Mississippi State fans listening to this also hope that, that you're able to, to to make that trip, not for your purposes, but for their for their own. But um, yeah, it's um, <clears throat> yeah, it, it's just you're right. It's so hard to find wins, and it gets late early in the SEC, right? I mean, because you talked about Alabama and Auburn; those two clubs are both in a position where they're looking at the Mississippi state series saying, all right, we like, we need to win this series if we're going to be a postseason team. So it's not even like, it's not even like those teams are going to go on cruise control facing state because they look at that as an opportunity to, to pad their, their win total. So it's just, uh, it's, I mean, I don't need to tell you or the people listening to this, like, it's just, you know, it's just tough. <laughs> it's yeah. you, the only way you can't rely on the schedule to, in some of these leagues, you can rely on the schedule to give you a break right? And just play some teams you're going to out talent, but this league is not one of those leagues. <laughs> you, I no. mean, you're just going to, you have to play better, like period. You and it's such an interesting thing. You know, Missouri started off really hot. Uh, so they've shown that they can, they can do some things. Kentucky, like we said, I mean, that's a team that like every four or five years, they might have a really good team for the most part. They are, they're not super successful each and every year. South Carolina, these are teams that are usually towards the bottom of the league the last few years. They've kind of risen to the top. We're starting to see a lot more parity in this league. And I don't know if it's the transfer portal, if it's just, you know, being in the SEC and just being able to recruit better. I don't know. But the league as a whole has really shifted over the over the last few years, and it's not so top-heavy um, year in and year out. I mean, there's some teams that can beat you each and every week. So – it's going to be tough for the Bulldogs, but that I mean, they're going to have to try to make up some ground somewhere and try to get to Hoover. I mean, that that should be the goal right now. I don't I don't think this team makes the NCAA tournament as we speak, but the goal right now should be do whatever it takes to try to get enough wins to get in Hoover. Yeah, well, we will certainly be watching to see how, how much progress they make. I think there's just even though it's the team is is struggling, I think there's still so much intrigue around what's going on in Starkville for a number of reasons. So I think we, we will all be tuned into see how the rest of that goes. Robbie, I appreciate you joining us today. Yeah, man, Joe, appreciate you anytime. I love my D1 baseball guys. I'm always up for this. I appreciate it. That's it for this episode of Highway to Hoover presented by Brock's Gap Brewing Company. Read Robbie's work over at 247 Sports and listen, as I said you should at the top, listen to the Thunder and Lightning podcast. While you're at it, subscribe to SEC Extra as well. Rate and review this podcast wherever you get it. You know all that stuff. Uh, thanks to Robbie again for joining us. Thanks to you for listening. Thanks to Brock Scap Brewing for sponsoring. 
and we'll talk to y'all soon. I'm Roman Mars, host of 99% Invisible. I'm excited to be teaming up with Lexus GX and SiriusXM on some very special 99PI episodes. We're heading to some of the cities in the U.S. that have special meaning for me and exploring the ways that these cities marry form and function. To learn more about the Lexus GX and SiriusXM and Lexus vehicles, visit Lexus.com slash GX and SiriusXM.com slash Lexus Trial. The all-new Lexus GX. Live up to it. Check out the 99% Invisible feed now and listen to these special episodes. Meet Stacy. Stacy's on the hunt for a new pair of trendy glasses. Call me picky, but I just can't find the one. Luckily for Stacy, Walmart Vision has virtual try-on. Now she can try on hundreds of frames virtually, then upload her prescription and get new glasses delivered right to her door. Really? <laughs> yeah, really. Well, the hunt just took a turn for the better. Buy your next pair of glasses with virtual try-on from Walmart. Welcome to Easy Eye Care. Welcome to your Walmart. Restrictions apply. See walmart.com for details.